Going Linux, episode 380, switching from Windows and upgrading to Linux, part two. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, the second of our multi-part series on switching from Windows and upgrading to Linux. Hi, Bill. Hi, Larry. It is cold. <laughs> yeah, it's a little cold. Yeah. Weather report. <laughs> yeah, cold for, you know, Southwest United States. Yeah. Okay. Like. So we actually didn't have any issues. <laughs> this yeah, no issues today. Yes, I solved my Bluetooth headset issues. That's all behind us. Uh, it turns out that this is the first time I have put anything earlier than a release candidate for a, a Linux distribution release on mm -hmm. my production machine. And I was doing some testing for Ubuntu Mate on the beta, uh, looking at some user interface improvements. You may have noticed that the buttons uh, look a lot cleaner and clearer if you've got a high-resolution monitor, as I do. And... I was doing some testing on that. So I put it on my production machine and thought, well, I know the release candidates when they make the final release, uh, they get upgraded to whatever the production release is. Apparently that doesn't happen with the betas. So, you know, they, uh, <laughs> they did something that messed up my Bluetooth for my headset and I just couldn't fix it. And my solution was to reinstall with the production release. And that worked just fine. So, there we go. Lesson learned. You told me so. Uh, I, I did, but that, I'm bad about that too. So, anyway, I'm testing uh, the Pop OS 1910, and ah. I like it. It's nice. It's fast. I got Zorns running on the uh, the uh, test machine uh, still. Um, it has that weird audio. Uh, uh, where it won't shut off one of the mics like we experienced last week and you might have noticed uh, Larry fixed it and uh well post. I don't know whether it fixed a hundred percent but yeah I tried uh, to do the best I could yeah yeah so if it does not quite up to the sound quality it's all my fault because Zorn was I, I have still yet to figure out why it does it but I made sure Pop OS didn't do that and yeah you know, I don't know it just might be a setting or the way they got something set up but we can't <laughs> have that all the time so uh Zorn right now is relegated to the test machine and right now Pop OS uh, 1910 I know it's not a long-term support but I wanted to see all the the goodies uh, that they had and um <clears throat> yeah it's not bad I I, I like yeah. it uh quite a bit so it, it's been rock solid, and so we'll we'll see how this goes. Mm -hmm. Let's see how long it how long it survives. So anyway, Larry, this is our second part of a three part series about switching from Windows and upgrading to Linux. Uh, we uh, in the first part had users try applications that work on both Windows and Linux, so they could figure out what worked for them. It's been a while now, so. 
uh, I think we should move on to the next part of the series. Right. And we had you try applications that are either open source or at least cross-platform. And we hope you found some great software and have had some time to get used to it. Now, we're going to carry it a little bit further. We're going to guide you into doing an installation of Linux. Now, if you're not ready to wipe out Windows uh, completely or you just need to use Windows for that one or two applications or pro, you know programs, uh, that's okay. This will work for you also. A lot of people who started with Linux started with a dual boot and still use it until they are sure uh, Linux can do everything for them. This is a great way to test Linux is you get to keep uh, Windows on a partition and you can test uh, uh, Linux and you can uh, jump between one and the other. Right. And now the other way you can use Linux is to let Linux have the whole machine. This is done by people who either have a spare test machine, like Bill does, or for people who know that Linux will work for them because they've tested it out somewhere. And warning, when you do this, Windows is gone. So make sure you back up any important information. Remember to take your time and get everything. You don't want to get rid of those pictures from your family gathering or those tax returns. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> now, you will need a few things for this process. A USB uh, uh, thumb drive greater than 4 gigabytes. USB thumb drives comes in two speed types, USB 2 and USB 3. Both of these will work. Uh, 3.0 will be a little bit faster if your machine supports it. Uh, both will work on any machine, so if you can only find a 2.0, that's fine. Or if all you have is 3.0, that works too. Uh, basically, if you have an older machine, you have a USB 3.0 drive. Uh, excuse me. If you only have a 3.0 version of the of the USB thumb drive, it will still work. It just won't get you won't get all the speed goodness. Right. And if your computer is 10 years old or so and you have a DVD drive or a CD drive, we'll have instructions on how to create a bootable DVD in our show notes. But we're not going to talk about that here since that's, what, 10-year-old technology? Yes. Yep. So to get started, you should have also downloaded your choice of Linux distribution, and that will be an ISO file. Uh, that's a file that ends in .iso. An ISO file is the file that's used to create your installation media on the USB drive. An ISO image is a disk image of an optical disk. In other words, it's an archive file that contains everything that would be written to an optical disk, that being a DVD or a CD, sector by sector, including the optical disk file system. We're using Ubuntu or an Ubuntu-based Linux distribution for this series, but if you choose another base of Linux, that's fine. But some things might be just a little bit different. I think you'll be able to follow along with most of the installation instructions here. After you have your ISO file, you will need a, a program to write the image or the .iso to the USB one program that can do this for you is Rufus, which is a Windows-based USB writing program, and the link to that program is in the show notes. Right, and that link includes a step-by-step -step guide on how to make a bootable USB and 
We'll also include links in the show notes, not only for creating a bootable USB stick on Windows using Rufus, but for macOS using Etcher. And we'll include a link for a cross-platform USB stick creator called Unet Bootin. We've talked about that in the past, and it's available for Windows, Mac, and Linux if you want to use just one program on all three platforms, if that's the kind of thing you want to do. Once you have made your bootable USB, there are a few more steps before you get to the really exciting part. These steps are very important. Take your time with these. Right. Number one, back up your data. This means all those tax forms, work <laughs> documents, music, pictures, especially pictures. Take your time with this process and make sure you get everything you want and need. Because once it's gone, it's gone. So back it up to some other location. Don't back it up to the hard drive you're about to wipe off. That doesn't count. Okay, step two. Have you backed up? Yes, okay, step two. If you have cloud storage like Dropbox, Google Drive, or something like that, you can use this as a place to store the data that you want safe. Just make sure you have enough storage space for everything that you've got on your hard drive. Yeah. And we can't stress this enough, make sure your data is safe. So that's step two. Step three, you can also use a USB hard drive and you can get these just about anywhere from Walmart or Amazon or whatever your local retailer is. Step four, if you're using a wireless network at home, make sure you know what it is. That means the name of the wireless network, the password, all of that sort of thing, because you'll need it in order to reconnect to the internet, assuming you don't have a wired connection somewhere. And if you're not connected to the internet, there's only so much you can do. <laughs> if And the reason we keep uh, telling you back up your data, because if you lose those wedding pictures... Or those pictures of the kids, well, your spouse is going to be, um, shall we say, mad. But mm -hmm. I or am worse. sure the, <laughs> or worse, you might be getting divorce papers. <laughs> but I am sure that you have backups of the data, don't you? Now that you have done these steps, you've backed up your data, right? Okay, great. <laughs> then <laughs> you can get did we say, installed. Did we say that we, you need to back up? I think we did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Back up your data, please, guys. I do not want marital strife or people or the government saying, we need your tax forms, and the only copy you had was on the drive that you just wiped. So take your time, get everything. So then you can get to the install once you have got these uh, steps done. Um, since you are a new user uh, – I personally recommend the automatic process and, and let it set up the install choices. This is the easiest for new users. Larry, do you do you uh, also recommend or, uh, letting it, the automatic system do it? Yes, absolutely. I would recommend okay. doing that. Until you know what you're doing with partitioning, just let the installer figure it out. It'll make some sane and safe choices for you. It may not be optimized for the... Uh, most efficient use of your hard drive, but at least you'll know that it's going to continue to work after you've restarted the machine. So 
use the automated process unless you've been playing around with uh, partitioning hard drives, using Linux tools, and you know what you're doing. Okay, yes. so once you've set up your computer to boot from USB, which is usually as you're booting into the machine, holding down a key or a combination of keys, and on most computers it's either the F12 key, you notice those little function keys across the top of your keyboard, well the F12 key or the F4 key, sometimes I've seen it be the delete key or the backspace key, but on most computers it's F12. So once you have it booted to the removable media, the USB stick, take a few minutes and try out the live envi environment. You'll notice that one of the options is to boot without installing. Try, let's say, Ubuntu Mate, if that's what you've chosen, without installing uh, or before installing or something like that. It says something like that. So give it a try. And... As you try, you can connect to your Wi-Fi, make sure that you can make the connection. And at this point, you haven't installed anything. So if you figure out that, oh, I thought the password was X and X doesn't work, you can reboot, you know, reboot your machine into whatever operating system you had before and check it out. Make sure you understand your Wi-Fi connection. All right. So once you've made sure that things are going to work. If you have any problems with something, like I said, you can power down and take out the USB drive, restart, and nothing has changed. If everything is working, on the other hand, then you can click the install icon that should be right there on the desktop. Double click on that and follow the prompts. If you are dual booting, you will see something that says uh, install alongside Windows. Uh, if you are getting rid of Windows, then you can just uh, see an option that lets you let Linux have the entire machine. Once you've picked one of those options, the program uh, will start the install, and you'll be prompted to provide a name and a system name. A lot of times when you type your name, it will uh, auto-fill that in. You don't have to keep that. You can call it like Bill's. Uh, super Linux system or Larry's uh, Ubuntu Mate beta system, whatever you want. You don't have to keep it, but you can change it to personalize it. But if you just want to accept the default, that's that's cool too. Just remember, always read what it's telling you because it will give you a quick explanation of what it wants. It'll say, you know, it'll say name, which is pretty self-explanatory. Just follow the prompts. It's pretty uh, foolproof. The installer has gotten uh, so modern and and uh, nice looking that it's really hard to mess this portion up. Yes, absolutely. One thing that we don't have in our notes here, but I just want to say, if you decide that you want to dual boot, it's at this point that you want to make that decision. Once you've installed Linux and if you've taken over the entire drive with Linux and you decide later that you want to dual boot, especially with Windows, Windows has this habit of assuming that it is the only operating system that you will ever use. And so if you try to install Windows after Linux, it is by default going to use the entire machine, regardless of what you're, you do. And when you boot back into it, it will not let you boot into Linux. On the other hand, if you want to actually use it as a dual boot system, make sure that Windows is installed first. And usually, if you're 
switching, it will already be installed. Then install Linux. Linux recognizes other operating systems on the on the hardware and presents a menu when you start up, giving you a choice of which one to start. So basically, uh, Linux plays uh, better with others than Windows does. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> okay, so you have inserted the USB drive, you've clicked on install, and you've decided which way you want to install it, whether that is taking over the entire drive or dual booting with Windows. Next, the installation is going to ask you for a password. Make sure you remember the password. And if it's not the same password that you use for Windows that you use to log in every single time, uh, or if you've got Windows set up so that it doesn't ask you for a password, I would suggest write it down, at least until you memorize it, right? And then you can destroy <laughs> or eat that paper with the password on it. Okay, so you will need that password when you're adding programs to the system or changing the system settings. Because of the security settings in Linux, it asks you for the password, the same password you use to log in every single time you install something or every single time you make some system level changes. Not if you change the wallpaper or something like that, but no. if you make some system level changes, it's going to ask like you for the system, yeah, Like the system time, it actually prompts you for a password. You bet. Okay. So if you're using a wireless uh, system, one of the prompts will ask you for the name of the wireless access point and the password to get onto the Wi-Fi system. And we suggest that you let the system get the updates while the installation is working. And that will save you time. There's a little checkbox there that says download updates uh, after install or during install or something like during that. During install, and yeah. Yeah, go ahead and check that box. That'll save you some time and will prevent you from having to go back in and do it later. Now, one thing that you should remember when setting up your wireless network, a lot of times, uh, well, almost 100% of the time that I've ever tried it, unless you have a hidden network, um, Linux will find and you'll see your network name, but you won't be able to connect to it until you actually click on your network and if you're in like an apartment or in a community and there's lots and lots of networks that's why it's so important to know what your network's name is called and if uh, a lot of um, and this can be a, a little bit of a problem especially when you're setting up like Comcast uh, unless you change it yourself or ask them to customize the network name you'll see a bunch of this thing will say I, I can't I think Com Comcast uses like Comcast you know, a long string of numbers, and that, and so, without if you didn't rename your network, you you might spend some time trying to connect to these different networks. So that's why it's so important just to say, okay, I know my network is ABC one two three and not ABC one two four. You know, so that's very important. A lot of times, you'll pull up all the networks that it can see. You just make sure that you know yours. You click it, you enter your password, uh, and it will uh, take a, about 10 seconds, and usually it boots right up. Yep. Once the install has completed, you will be prompted to restart. Uh, you will 
unplug the USB when it prompts you to, and once the system restarts, you will have Linux installed. Congrats! That that was the hard part of what we just went through. So, um, yeah, and depending on how old your machine is, that can take anywhere from. 15 minutes on a super fast machine to maybe half an hour or an hour on a really old, like 10 year old machine or something like that. And you should be done. Um, and not only have you installed Linux, but you've installed all of the applications that come with the installation of Linux that you have, including things like word processor and spreadsheet programs and mail programs and lots of other Web applications. Browsers. Yeah, all of that's included. So you'll have a usable system right out of the box. Yep, you don't have to install any third-party drivers or any of that stuff. And if you're dual booting with Windows, you'll have a choice that will be presented to you at startup. It'll be a little text menu that says, do you want to start Linux or Ubuntu or whatever Linux you've installed? Or do you want to start Windows 10 or Windows 8 or whatever you've got? Uh, and welcome to Linux. In the third part of this series, we will walk you through how to install applications, get updates, and how to customize your new Linux setup so that it is the way you want to run it. Yes. Now, we didn't go into on how to find or change your boot order. There are so many models of computer that this would just be impossible to cover everyone of these computers has um, has something different. A lot of them are uh, use the same uh, keys, but there's some that w might require you to do something else. Um, in this, Google is your friend if you're having problems. The people in our MeWe group are also pretty clever, so if you have questions, don't hesitate to ask for help. So there's two resources. A lot of times you can type your model number of your computer, make and model number, and ask it how to get to the boot menu. You search, you usually tell you you have to, you know, delete uh, or F12 or F1. Um, mine uh, is F12, and um, I think uh, that's a pretty generic choice. It is. It's pretty standard. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty standard. But we are, there's always that oddball out there. So if none of those are working, you know, Use the resources available to you. Uh, try Google or just jump into our MeWe uh, group. Uh, they're a bunch of friendly guys and gals, and they're pretty clever. They can usually figure out just about anything. Yep, absolutely. And many of them have been longtime Linux users. Some of them are newbies like yourself. So don't be afraid to ask questions. We get them all the time. Yes. And you've heard them on the podcast, and you'll hear them on a future podcast. And speaking of future podcasts, our next episode is listener feedback. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco 
podcastthemes.com.